David, I hope you could read that from back there. Fabulous king, but he was a flawed father. 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter, and that's what we read from this morning, verses 10 through 21, and we'll kind of take a look at that, but I just, <laughs> I'll give you a heads up. We're not looking at just simply 2 Samuel. That's kind of the core, the place to begin uh, from 2 Samuel, but it runs the story all the way from the 11th chapter through the 18th chapter. And so if you pick up an outline back there, you'll find these scriptures and so forth. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Talk about David. Talk about his life. And so I'll just ask you this question as we get started this morning, and I'll go ahead and pull this slide up. He is both, we sometimes refer to him as marvelous, fabulous, but he's also flawed. And those flaws brought sin into his life, and it also brought dysfunction into his family. Now, this screen, <laughs> I'm just going to leave up there. Because this is kind of one story, but this is all the different aspects of this particular story that we're going to talk about this morning, and the sins that David brought and the dysfunction that he brought to his family. He set a bad example. He failed to discipline. He denied the situation. He avoided reconciliation. And then there was a failure to express his true emotions. We'll see that later on. So let me start with this question. Whenever you think about David, what is it that first comes to your mind? <clears throat> and oftentimes people say, well, that's King David. <laughs> And rightly so, he's one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. But maybe along those lines also, you think about David and you think about his life, you think about him as a shepherd boy. You think about him killing Goliath. You think about him living in the palace for a while and playing music for Saul to help comfort, soothe him. You think about that time in his life when he became a close friend with Saul's son, Jonathan, and how their hearts were knit together. You think about the fact that David was a man after God's own heart, and you look at him and you go, wow, what a guy. And maybe I should look up to him. And then you read the rest of the story. <laughs> and you think, maybe not. David is a complex character. And there's probably no one else in Scripture other than Jesus himself that receives as much ink as David does. We know his life from beginning all the way up to the conclusion when he dies. And we see the good and we see the bad. And sometimes I think to myself, as I read these pages and I think about David's life, I think, would I want God to take my life and write it all down for people to read? And yet, that's what you have with David. And you see the good and the bad. David, as great as he was, he had contrasting sides to his character. Sometimes he could be very humble. At other times he could be very proud. There was times when David was very loving and tender. There was other times when he was cruel. He told Goliath, I'll cut your head off. And he cut his head off. That takes some kind of guy to do that. He could be violent. 
David could be faithful to God and he could give in to the flesh. He could say at times that he's unworthy and at other times he acted like he was entitled. In his early life, it was marked by faith and boldness and courage for God. But as David got a little older and he started to enjoy some success and he was finally crowned as king and took that position, we see David's flaws start to show up. And we see him start to compromise. And it leads to tragedy in his life. And then it leads to tragedy in his family. Complex figure. But God chose him. And then he showed us the good. And he showed us the bad. Let me give you this illustration. Because sometimes as I think about David. It's almost like I have a little trouble wrapping my mind around this guy's life and his character. And so I think this illustration maybe kind of helps us to see like what David was like and what, and what God had to work with. I think most of us are probably familiar with the greatest, the master, artist, sculptor, Michelangelo. Michelangelo is the one who did the sculpture of David, chose a piece of marble, and then made this sculpture, this statue, 13 feet high. Michelangelo lived in the 1400s. We know where he lived. We know where he worked. We know the quarry that that marble came from. We also know this. There was another artist, sculptor, that looked at that same piece of marble and said, I don't want it. Michelangelo looked at it. And he said, I'll take that one. Why was it rejected the first time? Because the other artist looked at it and he said, this thing's got cracks in it. <laughs> it's got flaws in it. Michelangelo looked at it and he said, but the core, the core is good. I'll take it. That's kind of like David. A man after God's own heart. The core is good. But boy, he's got some flaws. And so that's what this really about. So you'll have to come another time. We'll talk about the good part. <laughs> Today, it's kind of focusing on that part of David's life where the flaws really showed up. And one of the things that David does is he sets a bad example in his own home. Now, Ephesians, the sixth chapter... I'm going to just kind of paraphrase a lot of this today because we got a lot of material to cover. I'm trying to get through this. Get the outline and look at the passages. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, is where God tells parents and He tells children that they ought to obey their parents because this is right and this is the first commandment with a promise. And then down in the fourth verse, He says, Fathers, you bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know what we need to understand from that? You ever heard of something called the moral high ground? Ever heard of that? 
Do you know that God just grants that to parents? <laughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. <laughs> he just handed the moral high ground to parents. Fathers, bring your children up in the nurturing, the training, and the admonition of the Lord. But you know what else that says? I'm handing it to you. You got to hang on to it. Counselors will tell you, and, and sometimes when I refer to counselors, I want you to keep this in mind. They just discover what God already revealed. <laughs> but counselors will tell you there needs to be positive role models within the home. And one of the very first ingredients of a dysfunctional family is when parents do not set a good example, when they're a bad example. That's the first ingredient in a dysfunctional home. So now let me tell you about 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. You'll have to read that on your own. <laughs> this is the story about David and a woman by the name of Bathsheba. This is the spring of the year when kings go off to war and David decides to stay home. And in staying home, he sees this woman from his rooftop, sees this woman that is bathing and he's drawn to her and so he calls for her and brings her to his home where he sleeps with her. Another man's wife sleeps with her. And then later she informs him. Sends by message that she's pregnant. And then David has to take care of this situation. So what he does. He calls, the, he calls Uriah home. Her husband. Tries to get him to go home. Thinking that he might go home and sleep with his wife. And then everybody thinks. Well it's Uriah's kid. Not mine. <laughs> but Uriah doesn't go. And he tries to get him drunk. And he still doesn't go. And then finally he sends him back to the battle. And so now David is going to use the Ammonites, the enemy army, to kill Uriah. And we've talked about that in class. And so that's what David does. He schemes to get rid of this man to try and cover up his sin. And so Uriah dies. And after he dies... David calls for Bathsheba and takes her into his home and makes her one of his wives. Guess who was watching? Now, if you're a Bible nerd, <laughs> you might research that a little bit and figure out what's the timeline of these events in David's life. At the time when this takes place in David's life, he's probably about 40 years old. You know who Amnon is? That's his son by another woman, not Bathsheba, by another wife. Amnon is about 10 years old. Hey dad. Who's this woman? That's coming to live in our house. He 
You know, it's been said. If you're a parent, you know this. Kids don't always necessarily do what you tell them. (laughs) Maybe as a kid, you didn't always do necessarily what you were told. But it's also said this. You know what they will do? They'll do what they see. So David set a bad example. That's the first ingredient in a dysfunctional home. Now, in the course of time, we're going to 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter. That's where we read from this morning. Amnon, who was 10 at the time of David and Bathsheba's affair, is now about 20 years old. He's the son of David and Ahinoam. He has his sister that is mentioned there in 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter. Her name is Tamar. She's the daughter of Maacah, another wife. And she has a brother by the name of Absalom. Same mother, same father. They are full-blooded. Amnon, different wife. They are half-blooded. But what it tells us about Tamar is that she was very beautiful. She was very attractive. Amnon is drawn to her, but he can't have her. They are half-brother and sister. And according to the law, he can't marry her. He can't have her. But Amnon still wants her. And we're told that Amnon... Loved her. (laughs) Loved her. We're going to find out later. He didn't really love her at all. He was very attracted to her. He lusted after her, but he didn't love her. And so along with a friend, they come up with this scheme, how, and that's where we came into the story in 2 Samuel 13 and verse 10, how he might get Tamar to his house by pretending to be sick And then luring her into his actual bedroom to feed him because he's supposed to be ill. And then once she's there, he takes advantage of her and he rapes her. And then in verse 21, which we read through, it said when David heard of these things, he was angry. You remember the moral high ground I told you about? So now do you think David's going to go to him and say, son, that's no way to treat a woman. Oh, dad, you want to talk to me about how to treat women? David gave up the high ground. Now, I want to tell you something about that, though. I want you to keep this in mind. You can give up the high ground. But you can get it back. It's hard to get it back. But you can get it back. But at that moment in time, David doesn't have the high ground. And he's angry. But he doesn't do anything. 
And that leads to the failure to discipline. David's upset. And the second ingredient in a dysfunctional family is when parents don't discipline their kids. So David's upset, but he doesn't act. Now I'll say something here also. That whenever a child, or Amnon's not just a child now, he's a young man. Whenever they do something that upsets us, we need to act, but not irrationally. Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen that? A child does something and a parent kind of goes off? (laughs) Well, wait a minute. Maybe you need to kind of stop and think about this. What's the right thing to do? That's what David needed right there. And you know what David needed to do? He needed to stop and he needed to think about himself. He needed to stop and he needed to think about Amnon. And he needed to stop and he needed to think about Tamar. He needed to think about everybody that was involved. Because that's the only way that you can correctly discipline. Now I'm going to give you something else. Pause a moment. Push the pause button. (laughs) Leave the story for a moment. Because there's concepts that are taught within God's Word that we need to understand. And some of the concepts that are taught within God's Word are very simply this. There is justice. There is righteousness. And there is love. Amnon says that he loved her. Really? (laughs) He didn't love her. After he raped her, he threw her out. Didn't want to have anything to do with her. Let me ask you, was that righteous? No, that wasn't righteous. Was that just? No, that wasn't just. Was that love? No, that wasn't love. Righteousness is a word that we don't use a lot. I mean, we read it. (laughs) We know it's contained within the Scriptures. Outside of here, we don't talk about it a lot. And if you use that word, people kind of look at you funny. Oh, you're righteous? (laughs) Or you want to talk about what's righteous? So just do this. Do you know what righteous means? It just just means simply right behavior. Is there right behavior? And you know who determines what right behavior is? It's God. And so we want to know what God wants wants to know. We want to know what God would have us to do in any situation. What's, what's righteous? What's the right thing to do? Now, knowing the right thing to do, then you have to act on it. That's justice. Justice is actively pursuing what is right. And in God's world, where we live, He's the one that determines what's right, what's wrong, and then He wants us to pursue justice. Sometimes it may require punishment, but whenever we think about discipline, it's not just punitive. 
Discipline is also teaching and correcting. And so in justice, you have to know what's right. And then you have to pursue the right course. That's justice. And when you have righteousness and when you have justice, you know what you end up with? Love. Love acts in the best interest of the one loved. Have you ever said, heard someone say, or oh, we just read it, Amnon says, I love you. You do not love her. <laughs> Quit saying that ridiculous stuff. You lust for her, but you do not love her. And so we have to understand these concepts that are taught within God's Word and how we ought to live with one another and how we ought to relate with one another and how families ought to function. And fathers are given to be heads of families. Can we see that? So as those who are heads, you need to understand justice, righteousness, and love. And then as a father, you fight for that in your family. You fight for What did David do? <laughs> he was angry. David, what are you going to do? <laughs> Proverbs 13 and verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his son but he who loves him disciplines him promptly but you have to understand all that and you have to understand what discipline is and you have to stop and think what happened who's involved how does this affect everybody that's involved and what's my course of action So now then, skipping forward to 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter, and about verse 22. This is where Absalom comes into the picture. This is Tamar's full brother. And what we are told there is that Absalom does not speak positive or negative to Amnon. You know what that means? I ain't talking to you. That's all that means. I don't talk to you. That's his half-brother. Same father. Different mothers. I don't want nothing to do with you. You raped my sister. But you know what's seething inside of Absalom? It says he hated Amnon. Because of what he had did. And David, he lost the moral high ground. So he's frozen. So you know what needs to happen? First of all, there needs to be concern for every person that is involved here. There should certainly be concern for Tamar. But there should be concern for Amnon. Amnon is caught up. He's in over his head 
in sin. He stays that condition. He loses his soul. The Father sees that. I've got Amnon to worry about. I've got Tamar to worry about. David has compromised the moral high ground. But does that mean he's out of the picture? No. It doesn't mean he's out of the picture. But you know what happens in those situations sometimes? Let me just run this by you. What happens sometimes in those difficult situations when there's friction between parents and children? Sometimes parents will say things like, I hate to confront them. I hate to talk to them about it. Because, you know, this is really going to rock the boat. Let me let you in on a little secret. That boat's already been rocked. The question is whether or not you're going to stabilize that boat and get it back on the right course. That's the question. And do you know what this is? This is an opportunity for David to regain the high ground. Because sometimes parents say, well, I don't want to confront them because it's going to be a big fight. It does not have to be a big fight. In fact, it should not be a big fight. You know what it should be? It should be Galatians 6 and verse 1. And you know what Galatians 6 and verse 1 says? If any man be overtaken in a sin, any man, is Amnon caught up? Yeah, he's caught up. If any man be overtaken in a sin, let ye who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and meekness, looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know what that's saying? Here's a man that's caught up in sin. David, you're supposed to be the spiritual one. You haven't, but now you know what you can do? Amnon, I need to talk to you. I don't want to talk. Amnon, I need to talk to you. I don't want to talk. Amnon, I'm not leaving till we talk. And I'm not yelling. And I'm not screaming. And I'm not throwing. And I'm not breaking things. But you know what I am? I'm determined. We're going to talk this out. And we'll talk about what's righteous. And we'll talk about justice. And we'll talk about love. You know what David needs to do at this moment? Not go to Amnon's house and kick the door down and stomp in there yelling and screaming. David needs to go over there and say, we need to talk. See, sometimes men get confused. We think through anger and through violence that that's how we gain control. You know what David needs to do? He needs to man up. That's what he needs to do. And you go over there and you calmly, you sit down and you talk with him. Being clear in your head what righteousness is, what justice is, what love is. And you know what happened? You'll regain the high ground. tell you something else that happens in these situations sometimes. 
Sometimes parents don't want to fight. Sometimes parents don't want to upset their kids. Do you know that there's needy parents in the world? (laughs) Have you ever been a needy parent? Have you ever sent a child off to college? Call me if you need me. (laughs) If not, I'll call you. (laughs) You're hoping they'll need you. And sometimes people are, or parents are that way to a fault. They need their kids so bad that they won't even confront them. Have you ever heard of, and I want to say this before I go any further. I'm not being critical. That's not my job. Our job is to look at God's word and then apply it. That's the job. But have you ever heard of parents who would drink with their kids, get drunk with their kids? Oh yeah, we're, we're tight. <laughs> we're close. We party together. You ever heard of that? Have you ever heard of parents who do drugs with their kids? Oh yeah, we're like that. <clears throat> do you know what's happened? Satan has confused parents. And sometimes parents want to be pals. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be close with your kids. That's good. But you've got to understand what righteousness is. You've got to understand what justice is. You've got to understand what love is. And what God is saying, and when he tells fathers, you bring up your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord, you know what he's saying? I'm not asking to be their pal. I'm asking you to be a parent. And if you ignore it, if you deny the situation, you know what happens? It gets worse. And David tries to ignore it. And sure enough, it gets worse. Tamar is now bearing this shame and she has gone to hide out at her brother Absalom's house. Absalom is seething on the inside and Amnon, he thinks he got away with something. But what God wants us to do is to see sin and he wants us to see how destructive it is. And then he wants us to confront it. And then he wants us to expose it. And he wants us to bring it to light. And you know what happens when you do that? Then it no longer has control over you. And you know what happens at that moment? Satan gets kicked out of the house. (laughs) But at this moment, he's living there. And he's controlling the whole situation. So Absalom, after two years, he has his own flocks and it's time for them to shear the sheep and whenever that happens, that's time for a celebration. So Absalom gets a hold of his father and he says, hey, everybody come to the celebration and David says, no, we can't, that'll overwhelm you. You can't handle this whole family and everything coming. So you know what Absalom says? That's fine. Just have your sons come. Have Amnon come. 
And David suspicions something. And he says, why am not? He knows something's up. But Absalom persists. Oh, no, no. Have the sons come. And David doesn't do anything once again. And he sends him. You know what Absalom has got planned and he's talked to his servants about it? Wait till the party gets going good. Wait till Amnon has been in the wine for a little while. And then I'm going to give you orders. I want you to kill him. And you know what happens? That's exactly what happens. And so Absalom has his servants kill his half-brother Amnon. David said about example. He failed to discipline. And the situation got worse. So what does Absalom do? He flees. And he's going to stay away for three years. And so what happens now is there's going to be an avoidance of reconciliation. So what we read is, David has a commander of his army whose name is Joab, who is also a relative of David. He is very close with him. And he sees this rift in what has happened in David's family. And that now his son is hiding out in a foreign city and staying away. And he would like to get him back home. So he's going to try and work out this gap, this getting together of David and his son Absalom. And finally he gets David to agree to it. And so Joab goes to Absalom And he tells him his father wants to see him and invites him to come back to Jerusalem. And I don't know exactly what was going on in Absalom's mind at that time. But I would have to think, finally, I'm going to go back home. And so he goes. And I'm sure he's fully confident that now I will see my father. But you know what David says? He says, you can bring Absalom back, but I don't want to see him. You can come back home, but I don't want to see you. Is that reconciliation? Just because he's back in the immediate area? That's not reconciliation. The gap between them is still just as big as if he'd have stayed in a foreign city. So Absalom speaks to Joab after two years. And he says to Joab, why did I come home? I don't get to see the king. And so he's still upset. I want you to think about this for a moment. Ten years after David and Bathsheba's affair, Ten years later, Amnon raped Tamar. Two years later, Absalom killed Amnon. He hides out for three years. He comes back to Jerusalem for two years and doesn't see David. It's been 17 years 
this has been going on. And Absalom says, let me see the king's face. And if there is iniquity in in me, let him kill me. But I want to talk to my dad. And so Joab tells David. And David says, okay. Okay. And so Absalom comes. And he approaches David. And he bows down to him. And it says in the last verse, chapter 14, that David kissed Absalom. It's all good, right? Wait a minute. Where's Tamar? What about the fact that you had your brother killed? What about the adultery that David committed in the example? No talk of any of that. He just kisses him and they keep on going. There's no reconciliation. You know what's going to happen following this? This resentment inside of Absalom is going to flare up again. So what you have is failure to express true emotions. David, once again, you had your chance. What's going through your mind, David? What's in your heart, David? We've been told previous to this that he mourned over Amnon and he longed to see Absalom. David, there's your opportunity. That boat that got rocked, let's settle it down once and for all. Let's put it back on the right course. But instead, he just kisses him and goes on. Now let me ask you something. I think we can identify a little bit with this. Husbands and wives, you ever have any differences? (laughs) I know it's rare, but do you? (laughs) And husbands, have you ever done anything wrong? I know that's rare too, but have you ever done anything wrong? And then you say to your wife, because she's being kind of quiet, (laughs) what's wrong? You know what's wrong. And the wife says, I'm nothing. And you know, (laughs) beneath that, she stirred up. But you don't really show those true emotions. And the husband needs to fess up to what he did. And so there's sort of this facade. We just act like it's okay. I kiss you, but it's not really in my heart. And it doesn't get fixed. That's the fifth ingredient of a dysfunctional family. Ever seen that happen? Ever experienced it? So in chapter 15, what Absalom will do is he will start a rebellion against his father 
to take over the throne. By the time we get to chapter 16, it has gotten so bad that David is once again on the run. He has fleed from Jerusalem. Absalom, it looks like, is taking control. So you know what he does? He seeks advice from a counselor. How can I show that I have gained control and I'm going to be the one who's going to be king over Israel? And this counselor, who was formerly a counselor to David, tells Absalom, this is what you ought to do to show everybody you're in control. And it's disgusting. You know what he does? Take your father's concubines. Have sexual relations with them so that everybody can see. What David did in secret, you now do in open. That's what Absalom does. And Absalom thinks he's got the upper hand now. He's got control. And they're going to seek out David. They're going to seek his life. But here's where Absalom messes up. He leaves the city on his donkey. That's what kings rode in those days. And Absalom had this long and flowing hair that he was proud of. And as he passed under a tree, it caught in the limb. And his donkey ran out from underneath him. And there he is. And Joab is told. Joab, the one who went to get Absalom and bring him back home. David had said to his men in dealing with his son, be gentle with him. You know what Joab does now? He takes three spears right through the chest. I'm going to put an end to this mess that's been going on for years. And Absalom dies. And David is told. And you know what David does? He weeps. He weeps for his son. And he says, Absalom, Absalom, I would to God I would have died for you. Now, he expresses his true feelings. It's too late, David. Should have done it. When you had the opportunity. I find it ironic. <laughs> I find it ironic. David has another son. Who writes the book of Proverbs. A good portion of them. And you know what this son says in Proverbs 19 and verse 18. He says discipline your son for in it. There is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. David, you set a bad example. And then you failed to discipline. You tried to ignore the situation. When you had a chance to reconcile, you didn't do it. And when you had a chance to express your true emotions for your son, you just kissed him and walked away. Our world is full of Davids and Amnons and Tamars and Absaloms. 
American families look a lot like David's family. And families struggle with dysfunction because they fail to understand righteousness and justice and love. God doesn't want us to remain in dysfunction. He wants us to move beyond it. He wants us to kick Satan out and let him move in. He doesn't want us to be defined by our flaws. He wants to define us by who he is and who we are. And he shows us by the cross. You're mine. I want you back. And I want you once again to live in my image. Second John 5 and verse 17 says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. If you're a child of God, John tells us, confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And the blood of his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I'll close with this passage. Old Testament. Micah chapter 6. In verse 8. It has been shown to you, old man, what is required of you. Do justice. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. He's the one that determines righteousness and justice and what love is. Extend the invitation in and all that are here. If we can help you make your relationship with the Lord right today, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.